it plays a huge part in how I teach my clients. I would never want them to feel abandoned in my class or disregarded, you know, because of their, you know, maybe they haven't had as much experience as the person next to them on the bar, all of these things. So it definitely happened for me to put me onto this trajectory where I am now, which is at the happiest moment of my life. to the pod how has your week been they seem to be just flying by and you know what else is flying flying high anyway my spirit after speaking with fellow adult ballet teacher and entrepreneur caris scarlett and uh did you like that little segue (laughs) but seriously it was so incredibly lovely talking to someone that not only basically does what i do but on the other side of the world She also shares so many similar values and passions as me. But before we go any further, if you're a new listener of the pod, welcome, welcome. And my name is Georgia Canning. I am the host of this podcast and founder of Balanced Ballerinas, where basically, in a nutshell, we celebrate the grit and grace that ballet brings to our daily lives. And I tend to fight for things like body positivity and diversity in ballet and Really for those that want to study ballet seriously without necessarily wanting to be a professional ballerina. So today's guest couldn't be more on brand if I tried. As you'll hear in this interview, Caris began ballet classes at age two before she joined the Royal Ballet at age six. After they held a workshop at her primary school and picked her out of a lineup of students. She continued through the school before graduating at 19, but as you'll hear, it wasn't all peachy. After a serious spinal injury, the development of an eating disorder and severe depression, Curris stepped away from the ballet world for a few years to work extensively on her well-being, physical strength and mental health. In hindsight, the work she did during this incredibly traumatic period of her life is in my opinion, the reason why she is such a caring, committed and amazing teacher with her adult ballet students and the reason why she's built such an amazing following. I've reflected on this many times before and Chris and I briefly bring it up in conversation. Do I regret, like her, experiencing any trauma as a young ballerina? I don't think so because it really did shape who I am today. But should it happen to another? Definitely not. But the reasons for not following through with a professional career as a ballerina are probably the reasons why we really are the teachers we are today. So perhaps that's why I feel so connected to Chris, a shared sense of accomplishment despite the odds, a reconciliation with one's past and a passion inspired by hope for the future. Look, in this conversation, we discuss Carissa's current working from home situation, or the Zen Den, as she likes to call it. We also geek out on some adult ballet teacher challenges, concerns, and teaching techniques, all whilst gushing over our love of ballet and how it really, truly does heal both the soul and the body simultaneously. Basically, I loved picking her brain as I have admired her from afar for so long. I truly do admire this smart, 
beautiful, spiritual woman just so much. I think you're going to love this conversation and now is as good a time as any to announce that you might be seeing a little Georgia and Chris collaboration in the future when we're allowed to, when we're allowed to fly around the world again. Because Chris is based in London and obviously, as the listeners know, I'm in Australia. So hopefully one day in the future, our two adult ballet communities can collide so we can continue spreading ballet love around the world together. As always, you can find me at The Balanced Ballerina on Instagram and be sure to join our private Facebook group. Just search Balanced Ballerina's secret Facebook group to connect with like-minded Balanced Ballerinas from all over the world. And of course, go find Caris on Instagram. She can be found at K-A-R-I-S-S-C-A-R-L-E-T-T-E and check out her stunning new website, which is simply carisskelet.com. I actually just wanted to start with, how are you? <laughs> I'm really good, actually. Thank you. Besides feeling a bit tired and um, slightly like this, this whole year is gone, you know, already, which in a way is probably quite good. Let's just get it, let's just get it over with, shall we? <laughs> this year. But um, yeah. yeah, despite all of that, I'm feeling really good. And yeah, everything seems to be working in, in harmony. So I, I can't really complain. Um, yeah. How about well, you? Well, from where I'm sitting, it, it looks like you've got it all together and you're doing amazing. So I know that behind the scenes can always be very different, but it looks like you've got it together. So that's all that matters. <laughs> that's, that's all yeah, is the, is the facade. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. As you know, we're back in the studio teaching. So um, I'm, I'm happy about that. But you're in like a unique, um, we won't get into it yet, but you're in a unique situation where you're sort of in the studio and still teaching at home as well. So yeah, well, we'll get into that. I'm just really excited to finally, we should probably let the listeners know, well, I will let the listeners know that I have been personally following you for such a long time and a lot of my inspiration for really what I do with adult ballet you know, comes from you in London as well. And, um, and I, and I look up to you, I, I just love everything that you do. And I, you know, just when we were talking, um, was that like a month ago or how long ago was that? I don't know. It was even, I have a feeling it was, cause I can remember it being like a really sunny day and really hot. And let me tell you, it's, it's not that now. <laughs> I feel like we've, it's, it's a whole month and maybe two months has gone by since that conversation. So maybe. And I, I just remember um, thinking that like, if, if I can even be a tiny beacon of the Australian adult ballet version of you, I would be very happy. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's, I mean, that's wonderful because actually, I mean, I feel the same about you. So <laughs> uh, I look at what you're doing and think that, I mean, it's so inspiring the f- and you've got your own, you, where you're different from me is you've got your own place haven't you? you've got your own studio and yeah. it's you know on the on the surface which I'm sure it is beneath as well it looks so established and so it looks like a school like a vocational school which is wonderful and it's you know, I know you teach children as well but you've got the adults in there too and that's something that I back in the day was always hoping to do like have a 
had a, an established sort of school and location for my adults, but that hasn't been the way that my business has gone. But I think we are, we're quite parallels. We do some things differently, but I think you and I yeah. have, um, I'm on the same trajectory. So yeah, likewise, mutual mm. like admiration and respect. So yeah. From, from my perspective, um, it's you're probably really lucky that you haven't had a bricks and mortar establishment, especially during like a time like this year. I mean, gosh, we've had to be Man. so flexible and having a bricks and mortar is not very flexible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that been, um, I mean, obviously you've, you've survived it, which is amazing, but I can imagine mm. it's been tough. Yeah. And yeah, it was. Yes, because it really was a home away from home for them. So, you know, having that physical space, which creates such serenity for especially my adult ballerinas, like having to close it was just so traumatic that I just sort of, I was really affected by it a lot more than I thought. Like I always loved my studio, but it's funny since we've come back with everything that's happened, I was, I'm just so much more appreciative of the four walls around me. Like I just walk in, I go, I love this place. Like I really yeah. do love it. And mm. I built this place. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. For everything that you've done. And so that's, I mean, I feel like that's one of the things this, this I call this our unique situation. I try not to say this you know, scary time and whatever, because I think if we just shift mm. how we view it, then we're going to have a much more sort of calm and, you know, consistent time with dealing with, with it. Right. So I call it the unique time, but I feel like I like this that. is really, yeah. Yeah. Let's roll with that. <laughs> so this unique time, I, I feel is really, it's forced us, hasn't it? To sit and reflect. And actually the majority of us are incredibly lucky and we haven't taken stock of that yet. You know, we haven't been forced to actually stop and go, do you know what? <laughs> you don't have it half as bad as some people in the world, you know, and that's something that's been wonderful to realize, even though it's been a struggle, it's, you know, in, I personally, I'm in a far better position than, than most of my, my contemporaries, really, you know, the ones that are out of work, and they're not on the stage, but then even more extreme people that can't afford to feed themselves. I mean, because they've lost their jobs and stuff. So actually, it's been, it's been one of those moments where you can just go, right, stop complaining. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and let's let's think about where we can take this and how we can help others. So definitely, no, you're you're spot on. Well, I always start um, most of the podcast episodes with sort of delving into how old were you when you first started, and did you start with ballet? I did, yes. So I was two years old, and um, I basically started ballet because I had this. I can I can imagine it was rather annoying. I had this habit of just singing, dancing, copying everything that was on the television, um, almost like word for word. We later found out that I have a photographic memory, which is quite bizarre. So I can see something almost like just one time and I've got it. You know, I can remember words, I can remember, you know, alignments and nuances and voices and things like that. So it's, it's quite bizarre. My mother noticed that when I was about two, how I would, it could almost predict what was coming next on the television, you know, in yeah. terms of like the Speech, so the act, actors, what the actors were saying, and I would mirror everything. So I mean, really, I was a little actress, I think. And my mum put me into ballet. I think you know, secretly, she must have loved ballet. So, and I think I believe she wanted to do ballet herself when she was a kid, but never got the opportunity. So I guess for her, it was a nice thing to see me uh, indulging, shall we say, 
and I absolutely loved it. I technically wasn't that great. <laughs> like, I just used to do my own thing. It was the acting and the music that I loved so much. So yeah, it kind of progressed on from there, from the age of two all the way up until I was about six years old when I was in my primary school in London and the Royal Ballet came in to do a workshop. And they were technically scouting for like talented kids to offer them uh, tuition at the Royal Opera House, uh, which is a scheme called Chance to Dance. Uh, that's uh, it's still running today, actually. Um, and I was chosen for that. So at the age of six, I was effectively swept into you know, training with the, with the Royal Ballet, Royal Ballet teachers at the Opera House. And it kind of just went on from there, progressed up, you know, into the uh, Royal Ballet Junior Associates and into the school and on and on and on. So it all seemed pretty set. And I loved it. I mm. never remember saying anything to my parents about not wanting to do it. But then equally, I never remember saying, this is what I want to do. It was quite an interesting yeah. journey. It wasn't, I didn't choose it. It kind of chose me and I went with it because I loved it and I was good. So, yeah. <laughs> and you, and so you ended up in White Lodge at the Royal Ballet School. Yes. And then you had a spinal injury. How old were you when this happened? So this happened in the summer between White Lodge and upper school. So I was 16. And I was actually at summer school, so I w was such a bunhead. I would do all of the summer schools in between the, you know, the term times and everything so that I could you know, keep up the momentum. And I can remember the exact moment it happened. I was, I was doing a movement that I've done every, every single day of my life, effectively, just a port de bras, a circular port de bras in the center. And, you know, in like a fourth lunge. So I was in, you know, quite a deep yeah. position of there. And as I went around the back, I, something just popped. That's what it felt like. I felt, if you can imagine if you were to squeeze like a, a twig from both ends, so, you know, top and bottom, and it went, it kind of, it felt like a collapse like in the middle, which didn't actually happen. It was just obviously how my body responded to it. And I carried on, but the next day I couldn't, literally couldn't move. So I was in a, a very serious muscle spasm and the pain was unbelievable as you know you, you you must have had spasms in your life and it can almost feel like you're being stabbed right it was insane and you know typical bunkhead I just kept going just popping loads of painkillers and just keeping on going on going on going and into my first year of upper school my my arabesque on the right hand side was gradually getting lower and lower and lower sorry not left, uh, right hand side left hand side did I say left it's early um, yeah no it's <laughs> It's all good. It's 8, 8 a.m. for you and 5 p.m. for me. So we've actually both sort of clocking, clocking in or clocking off. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I've just had another swig of coffee. So, um, yeah, my arabesque started to just get lower and lower. The pain was insane, um, even to the point where I couldn't take a demi-plié without my calves feeling like they were going to explode. Like, it was all deferring down into my lower legs and... Uh, I think how they realized, the school realized I really injured myself when I went for my regular weighing and measuring appointments, which we'll get onto later, I'm sure. Yeah, and they noticed yeah. I'd shrunk. I had shrunk. And they were, they were like, okay, so you shrunk. This is bizarre. But, you know, what's going on? And they looked at my spine and they saw this extreme curvature of my spine, which wasn't there initially like I wasn't born with a scoliosis so what happened was the the muscles the spasm had pulled my spine effectively over into such a severe curve that I lost height Jesus and, yeah like and it, 
caused a, a quite a lot of um, issues with the bones, the lower sort of, you know, in the, all the vertebrae in my lumbar spine were completely impacted. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of other damage there, which I'm not going to go into so much because it's just crazy. Um, but it was obviously affecting my lower legs as well, because that's your nervous system, right? Into your lower legs, yeah. the lumbar spine. Hence the problems when I was taking my demi-plie. And they immediately basically signed me off dance, stuck me in a back brace and made me sit and watch. And that was my life for the next year. It was like I walked into the hospital for the scan and I walked out. I didn't even walk out. I kind of was wheeled out effectively. So that was it. That started the journey. Down to just watch. Viral effectively. But um, obviously where I am now is a result of that too. But for many years I was lost in this, you know, very destructive, depressed vortex, (laughs) shall we say. It was was quite quite a moment in my life, you know. Mm. So you ended up graduating, didn't you, from the school? Yes. So it was all a little bit messy, unfortunately. I had to, when I eventually started dancing again, they obviously moved me back down into the year uh, below because I'd missed everything because I'd been sat down. And I just continued to have problems, just continued to have injuries that wouldn't, necessarily. I would get like, you know, two steps forward and I'd take five back. It was awful. I'll admit at this moment, I probably lost a bit of the fight as well. Mentally, I was, I was totally broken, you know, physically and mentally. I, I felt like I couldn't fight for this anymore. And this is also, this is a moment where I felt that I was almost abandoned as well by the system slightly. I think they either didn't have the faith in me to come back or maybe they recognized that I'd lost the fight and just thought, well, just leave it then. That's honestly how I felt, which only made me feel worse. So. I graduated early and went on and tried to recover, you know, tried to recover, tried to keep dancing a little bit. Um, I actually went to Rombert, you know Rombert? Yeah. 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 I was there for about a year or a year and a half, I can't remember exactly, to continue dancing with one of my sort of long-term teachers that I'd had from when I was in Chance to Dance when I was six. She was teaching there, so she said, come to me, I'll look after you. And her name is Liz Alp, so just in case anyone has heard of her, um, she's from New Zealand, so I don't know whether she's done any guesting in in Australia or anything like that. Um, She looked after me, but I was kind of too far gone, you know, mentally. I just, I couldn't really bring myself back to the stage where I felt confident enough to start performing again. It was really, really, really sad, actually. I did the odd bit here and there, like once, and then I decided when I was about 24 that, no, I can't do this. So, yeah, it all kind of came to an end. It sounds like, I mean, obviously nothing's ever easy, but it sounds like up until that point, it was relatively easy. You were good at it. You loved it. You were in, you know, Royal Ballet School from six years old. So it was just, you know, on the way up that that would have been a huge shock to the system. That would have been a massive shock. So no wonder why you were depressed. I mean, uh, and I feel like sometimes too, and this is one of the reasons why I even started the podcast is that I feel like for young ballerinas, sometimes there's a real lack of resources in regards to their mental health. And I don't know about the Royal Ballet School, but I, I know that some very prestigious ballet schools here in Australia, it's uh, very similar in regards to not having the right tools to be able to help dancers who are 
struggling and injured. And so, like you said, you sort of felt abandoned. And I, I totally get that. Like I've seen, I was really lucky as a young dancer. I was never severely injured. Um, actually never really got any injuries. I was really lucky, but I watched dancers around me who would get injured and it was almost like they were just tossed to the side. Like, oh, well, you're yeah. not really any use to us anymore. And there's too many other little girls that want this. Um, so you're very replaceable. So I'm so yeah. sorry that happened. It's just really sad. I completely understand. <laughs> it's mm. one of those things that... Um, you know, whenever I tell anyone about it, they're initially, they're really shocked and they feel incredibly sad and sorry. Uh, but then they're also likewise sort of slightly confused with my reaction to them being, oh, you know, oh my God, you lost your career or whatever. I'm like, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> because I, again, it's all about changing the, the mindset of it. I could, and I have seen this with, you know, with my, my friends from school, whenever they've had injuries or maybe they haven't even you know, it's not, not nothing to do with an injury. Maybe they haven't made it into the up school or they didn't get into the Royal ballet company or whatever, and they've fallen into a depression and they can't bring themselves out of it. So it's the, the expectation, which when it's completely dashed, obviously most people find it incredibly hard to pull themselves out of. But for me, I managed to rework it insofar as it didn't happen to me. It happened for me. So yes. that's where I that's where my head is at even now like I, I can look back and think wow I feel like a different person I feel completely like, a, like that happened to somebody else almost but it still feels very much ingrained in, in, in me and in my psyche and in my ethos for my teaching of course it has it plays a huge part in how I teach my clients I would never want them to feel abandoned in my class or disregarded you know because of their you know, maybe they haven't had as much experience as the person next to them on the bar, all of these things. So it definitely happened for me to put me onto this trajectory where I am now, which is at the happiest moment of my life. So there is a life beyond, beyond performing, which I miss terribly. And I miss being able to use my body to the full extent that I used to before. I still can't, I still don't have an arabesque on my left hand side. <laughs> I was going to ask you. <laughs> I mean, I can do, I can do everything. I can dance again. Everything is fine. Uh, it's just the arabesque. It's my spine is basically fused at the bottom. Now it's straight. Now we, we managed to get it straight. I have to have ongoing, uh, like physical therapy. I do a lot of acupuncture on it. I'm obviously working on I, mobility is a constant thing for me. Daily mobility, uh, daily glute activation. <laughs> like I need my glutes on all the time to protect the spine which led me into weightlifting, which is amazing for like my bone strength and things like that. And, um, and I also have something called bone setting with uh, two guys that are from Australia. They live in London and uh, they just, they saved my life effectively. They managed to get my spine moving again. So I owe everything to them. I absolutely 100% trust them with my, with my life. <laughs> so nice. I see them. Nice. Yeah. But everything's it's working. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's funny. Um, as you were talking, I actually can totally relate. Sometimes when I get into a deep and meaningful discussion with usually one of my adult ballet clients, and because you know they say, "Oh, how come you didn't go on to have a professional career?" and and we go down that road, and they go, "Oh, I'm really sorry, you know that that happened." And and I'm sort of the same as you. Like I actually go, "Oh no, don't be sorry." Like I actually think 
I am much happier doing. And I don't think I would have been actually that happy because one of the reasons I gave it was that I actually didn't like performing. It produced a huge amount of anxiety for me. I loved being in the studio. Like I loved everything yeah. about the studio. I stalked my teachers like less than the company members. Like I thought they were fascinating and what they wore and like, you know, how they walked around the room. And I always used to look at my teachers and be like, I want to do that. And so it was never like a sad thing for me um, in, you know, in retrospect. And I quite love, I'm like you, I really love what I do now. So it's sort of, it's definitely not a sad thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's, and people are shocked by that. And you're like, no, there's nothing sad about that. And I think that's what goes back to one of my missions, which I've spoken to you about before, is that why do people think if you study ballet, there's this stigma that if you study ballet, you have to be a professional ballerina. Like, you, like it just makes no sense to me why this stigma is attached. And obviously, because I work with children as well, you know, I'll have parents go, oh, like, little Sally, like she's, she's not that great. Like, I think I'll pull her out of ballet. There's no hope of her becoming a professional dancer. And even at my studio where I'm so vocal about my mission, I'm like, are you serious? Have you been listening to me at all? Like, we are not studying ballet to be professional dancers. And so I think maybe that's why people will say, sorry. I think, uh, I mean, obviously, with regards to becoming a professional ballet, ballet dancer, you obviously have to dedicate your pretty much your entire life, don't you? You have to sacrifice yeah. everything in the name of your art. <laughs> um, and I've yeah. got a bit of an issue with that as well, which I'm sure we'll get on to. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I get this as well. I get a lot of my, my adult clients who have children in ballet, and they say to me, well, you know, he's, it's, like, it's like a boy in the class and you know he's the only boy so I think I'm just going to take him out I'm like no because it's going to teach him if he loves it firstly it's going to teach him that he can do what he loves without judgment and without fear and and you know just own that own that you know sort of sovereignty and that individuality and it hasn't really got anything to do with becoming a professional it's to do with building life skills and to do exactly. with being happy and and then that also can relate to, to my, you know, and your adult clients and all the adults that do ballet around the world. Like you're not doing it to become a professional. You can't at this stage. It's, it's impossible. You're doing it because you love it. You're doing it because it benefits your life in some way. You're doing it because it, it, it allows you to step into your power, into your confidence, into your femininity, into your strength. And that's what, that's what life's about. We can't go through life with, with this fear, you know, and, and with this sort of this insecurity. And to be perfectly honest, I think all children should do some form of creative uh, hobby, arts, dance, music. They need to do it. And even if they don't take it further, they should continue into their adult life. It's just going to enhance their life and provide them with skills which will make them better employees or in, in employers, yeah. you know? So that's my theory. It's such a good... Uh, yeah, and such a good outlet, you know, for yeah. all these mental health issues that we are becoming increasingly aware of. But yeah. another point to make too is that in regards to you and I and what we do, and the reason why I don't feel sad for not having a professional career, because I love business and I love blogging and I love my podcasting and I love journalism and I love creating little videos and I love all these other things that I've been able to do which I wouldn't have been able to do if I had a professional career because you have to as you say dedicate 
7am till 7pm every waking, if not longer, <laughs> to yeah. your art. And with you, which I want to get into, you may have never um, discovered your love for tango or, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this. Yeah. Is it cap capoeira? Capoeira. No, I said yeah. that wrong. Oh, I did say it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and for travel and so, you know, you've, you've found all these things that you love, which let's face it, you probably wouldn't have experienced if you had have been stuck in a professional career. 100%. And this is, this is my thing, you know, like I, I'm the same as you. I love business. I love my business. I love being in control of what I do, like work. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got no, no problem working for other people, of course, within reason, but I, yeah. I, I am a, a manifester, you know, I'm a creator and that doesn't just apply to dancing and, and, and ballet and stuff. It, it applies to everything around me. Like even my home, I create my home, you know, it's got my stamp on it. My, my business is my, is, is all of my own manifestation. And so being in a company where you're basically told do this, do that, you know, all the time, and you you have to give up so much of your your individuality and your freedom, again for the pursuit of the art, which for me doesn't really sit very well because art is meant to be about freedom and individuality. So uh, it just I know it wouldn't have suited me, and so having the that's exactly to that's exactly what I say. <laughs> I know <laughs> that I would have been the worst company member. I was already yeah. in the school pushing the boundaries and yeah. I was yeah. <laughs> like, I was already pushing the boundaries yeah, and I Being just, tattoo. yeah. And I, <laughs> did you get a tattoo whilst you're in the school? Yeah. What did you get? <laughs> I love it. What'd you get? I got, the, I got this uh, one that's on my ankle, which I actually need to modify um, because it's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. <laughs> Is it a boy's name? <laughs> goodness, no, no. It's actually, um, it's actually a rosary. I haven't. I'm not a Catholic. It's nothing to do with Catholicism at all. It was actually a little nod to my father, who is Irish, and um, you know, at the time when I got the tattoo, we were going through quite a, a rocky patch in our relationship, and um, I just wanted to give him a little like, look what I've done for you type thing actually uh but and that's not to say that we have a bad relationship now but i need to modify it because everyone's like oh are you a catholic i'm like oh i'm actually a buddhist nope. <laughs> so I'm, gonna turn it, I'm gonna turn it into this sort of more you know be like buddhist bb type so the, the cross is going to be modified soon oh, that's but that was so a, funny thought, actually and i remember when i walked into school with it and obviously it was having to be exposed so it could dry out and i was sat i wasn't dancing so i just sat with my leg out like this and the teacher came up to me and she tried to scratch it off. She thought it was fake. <laughs> Don't touch it, it's painful. <laughs> anyway, uh, they weren't very happy, but at that point I decided that I, I was gonna do whatever I liked to make myself feel better. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, that's so funny. Yeah. No, my, my idea of pushing the boundaries was we had a choreographic competition that will choreographing assessment that we had to do. Mine was, way less cool than you're pushing the boundaries and um <laughs> and that was extreme <laughs> yeah and uh, and i hired a videographer to come in and project on the wall behind me on these beautiful pristine ballet walls this video of like trees and leaves and stuff as i was dancing and i remember the director of the school of australian ballet school turned around and went and why did you do that georgia <laughs> was that necessary and i was like what it was 
it was so cool and she just didn't get it. And so, yeah, but that, yeah. But anyway, but yes, I would love to talk about your beautiful new branding to sort of lead into um, your you know, business and what you do. So basically you've got your three pillars, movement, mobility, <laughs> and mindset. Love it. It's everything I'm about to. <laughs> you put it so eloquently and beautifully. And, um, and I think one of the reasons why we do get along and resonate with one another is because we are trying to train the whole dancer. So what does that look like to you with your clients? Cause you, you're all over it. I'd love to hear what your latest is. I mean, basically, the those three pillars for me are how I, you know, I live my life by those those three pillars. You know, the movement aspect is obviously vital for for living an optimal life, and I am a ballet teacher, so we have to move and <laughs> we have to learn ballet. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the mobility, which is you know keeping all of the joints healthy and and the muscles long and everything like that. So that's sort of this flexibility element to it, which. You know, a, a healthy body is both long and strong, so we need to work on the strength as well as the mobility. And um, then, obviously, we've got the mindset, which is all to do with, you know, my my background in meditation, which I am a teacher in as well. So it's discovering how we can train our minds for optimal learning and optimal uh, performance, effectively, and just again, optimal living, like being the observer yeah. of our and not getting too carried away with uh, feelings of, you know, should we say inadequacy a lot of the time with people when they don't, you know, they feel like they're not good enough to do something or maybe they're, they're taking a longer time to accomplish something, you know, personal goals and stuff like that. And just keeping everything basically as present as we possibly can. So we're not projecting, we're not judging either ourselves or other people and just working towards I call them small victories, obviously. So every day we have small victories. I, I do set goals, but I try to avoid setting long-term goals for myself and for my clients. Because I think being too future-focused means we're deprived of being in the moment and being grateful for where we're at and, and recognizing where we're at and, and living that moment. Because that moment's all we're ever really going to get. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. So actually... You can set a goal for the class, but I try not to set a goal for, you know, the 10 sessions that we're going to do together. I try not to do that. They can tell me their goals and that's fine. And I'll obviously work my, my magic <laughs> so that yes. we achieve that. But I try to keep them very, very present every time that we're in class. So we basically work with this concept of the beginner's mindset. So even if they're quite experienced, my clients, they'll come into the class and I will, I will just remind them, approach this class like you've never done it before. So that you have that natural curiosity and that, that almost that playfulness about it. So that you're not going in there with the pre sort of an, an ideal of what it's going to be like, because, you know, very often those things aren't really through all relevant. So it's kind of, so that's the mindset element that we do. And, I work a lot with people that have had trauma as well, similar to mine in the past. And I mean, we've only dipped into my trauma. There's, there's way more <laughs> like, yeah. to do with the spine, you know, and to do with the subsequent years after the, the injury. But so I will work with people that have a lot of that, you know, sort of residual uh, either childhood trauma or ballet trauma. And we, we just try to gently work through it. We try to, you know, 
not correct the mindset because it's not it's not incorrect you know where you're at isn't wrong it's just we maybe need to tweak how you view things a little bit and so we work with that and people are quite resistant at first <laughs> you know when it comes to the mind people are like no if i can't see it then then i can't work with it i can't you know make i can't yeah. improve it absolutely can and actually this is the first place we should look to improve and you know sort of redefine how we view everything and then you know the whole journey just becomes much easier you know I don't mean (laughs) I do I do I don't know about you but I I tend to believe that movement and especially dance and one of the reasons why I love ballet is that especially with adult clients and, and also with children too I find that it's one of the only things that heals the body and the mind simultaneously so it's really special I would love to know how you incorporate mindset training into like a group situation a group class because it's very easy and I find it very easy to do in private session and private coaching but not so much in a group session when you've got so many different personalities and someone's nailing the combination and someone in the corner is like almost in tears and you're just like ah. yeah <laughs> what, what are some of your <laughs> tips and tricks for me well it's I mean I think it's about balance isn't it quite literally you need to we're gonna have that you know yin and yang in the class all the time there's always going to be people that are going to have more experience and others that don't but that doesn't mean that you know in any way that person that doesn't have as much experience is is not worthy of being there so that's the first thing that we need to always put across in class that you know this is such an amazing thing that you've done you've stepped into an an experience which can be a little bit you know scary it can make you feel very vulnerable but the fact that you've done it just proves how powerful you really are so you know work with that let that sort of resonate and again just being in the moment more so breathing exercises i try and get my clients to do a lot of breathing exercises just to bring them straight into their body and we do a bit of sort of positive visualization before we go in so if we don't let's just use the exercise from the corner as an example shall we so you know say it's like a, like a traveling pirouette exercise you know know knowing where you're at so the client has to be take that responsibility to know where they are in their training yeah. so if then doing a pirouette yet then they just do the preparation they work with all of those tools that we've you know we've obviously manifested throughout the the class to do with you know sort of balancing how do we get on balance i'm always reminding them where we find good alignment and those sort of little um i have little phrases that i coin just you know almost like subliminal phrases that i shout out and then it it triggers people to go back into that you know frame of mind so it's you can't compare yourself to other people you have to work solely you know within your sovereignty and be yourself and wherever you're at you know you're not going to be there forever you are going to improve and we all have the our own trajectory our own you know sort of speed of improvement and that's absolutely fine it's where we start comparing ourselves to others where it gets a little bit you know messy in, in the head and everything you know can be a bit like social media for example I try to steer, try to avoid putting anything on social media of myself doing something you know, crazy or like technically really quite, oh, wow, that's great. Because I don't want my clients to feel like that's what they are expected to do. Everyone has yes. their own, you know what I mean? So even if the leg is, is low, someone else's is high, do it with your authenticity and with your, with your style. 
and that's that's all that's all I ask you know 100% I love that Mm. I'm constantly (laughs) trying to reassure people that you know a low leg well placed is far better than trying to get it up over the girl in front of you and all out of whack and people don't believe me and I'm like no I'm actually not looking at the height of your leg I'm actually looking at your supporting leg (laughs) yeah exactly I'm looking at your square shoulders and hips (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly with your own style like you know the technique is wonderful but come on let's let's be expressive let's you know show me who you are dance yeah dance for me I try to encourage that more so than technical stuff. Yeah, I'm always telling my adult clients, I'm like, you do realize you're so brave just walking in here, like full stop. You could have picked a much easier hobby. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I always say that. Oh, well, um, I want to get into a bit of teaching. So you've got the whole online in studio teaching sort of happening at the same time at the moment. Um, you have created for yourself, and these are your words, a home studio Zen Den where you have personally and professionally grown more than ever before. What do you mean by that? Let's talk about your home studio. Well, so online this teaching. Is, this, uh, the home studio is a result of the lockdown, obviously. So, um, yeah. you know, coronavirus unique situation that we're in forced us all to go inside and you know instead of just throwing everything away I obviously just flipped and decided to start teaching online and do you know what I for me personally I felt like this was a divine timing because I was exhausted I was really in this this habit of saying yes to everything which didn't really served me and I knew it didn't and I was just a bit resistant to change again so I could feel myself slipping into that you know little habit that I see my clients do sometimes and so this was for me one of those moments where I was forced to adapt we all were but for me because I like to create and I like to manifest and that's easy for me it's easy to to adapt I was able to within a couple of days uh sort of say right okay everything's online boom here we go and I wanted to make it more of a a permanent thing because it provided me with those healthy boundaries that I needed, you know, instead of saying yes to everything and being in the studio six days a week, you know, working myself to the bone and and getting, you know, quite regularly getting unwell, like little colds and tonsillitis or whatever. It provided me with that, that space. I was still able to produce good work, but I was like this, I actually need this. I need the retreat. I need, so need to keep working, but I do need this space. So actually I, I've thrived a little bit. So I've made it more of a permanent thing. I'm going to keep going with the online classes, even when we start to get more, more and more open. We're actually going into like a semi-second lockdown here at the moment. So unfortunately my yeah. studio class kind of, I'm going to have to stop them for now. And then we'll see how we are in January. But let me tell you, they, the, the online classes have been really, really good. Interestingly enough, for the people that don't live in England or in London, so not really my my usual my usual client base, I've managed to tap into you know should we say it's not a fan base but it kind of is in a way like people that follow you. It is. It's them. It's those people that have never had the chance to really see me in in the flesh. They're in the class pretty much every single day, which is amazing. Amazing. yeah, so the, the reach, the scope of the reach has been phenomenal for me to see. So I'm, I've 
that's it. I'm like, right, we're keeping this. This is amazing. Everyone can benefit if you know everything's online like this. Obviously, the yeah. human content is incredibly important. I am doing that. I've got a retreat next week in in the flesh with real life people. <laughs> so, you won't know what to do with yourself. You'll be like, oh my god, what do I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's going to be exciting. So. And then with, with also calling my home studio the Zen Den, it is that. It's exactly the Zen Den because, I mean, I'm quite obsessed with lighting. So I have like these, you know, infrared lights everywhere and I love my candles. So when I'm finished teaching, I just close down all of like my, you know, big spotlights and my selfie light. I put on my, <laughs> my infrared light, light my candles and I just meditate. So I, I, I go from this having this high energy sort of experience in the studio to then just coming straight down into this very grounded, very calm, you know, place, which I would love more people to experience. So that has led me down the path of eventually when the time is right, I want my own retreat space. So I'd like yeah. to have a home open up to my clients. So instead of me traveling around the world so much doing it, which I will still do, but I would like to have a base that's also my home where I can invite the clients to experience exactly that. You know, the, the wonderful home studio experience, but then there's end in. <laughs> oh my gosh, you and I are just two peas in a pod because, yeah. and I've actually, I don't, think I've ever, I don't think I've ever spoken about this on the podcast before, but one of my dreams is to have a home studio. And I've, and I've always loved the idea of being, there's really beautiful hinterland and country properties um, just outside of the Gold Coast where I live in Queensland in Australia. And I have looked at a lot of properties with my mother, actually, who's my business partner. And our dream would be to have a studio in like a barn type situation to run yeah. retreats for, for also children and adults where it's, you know, that balance ballerina's lifestyle of ballet and meditation and yoga and Pilates and movement. Um, the problem is that every property that I've looked at, we can't get zoning. I don't know what it's like over in the UK, but we cannot get the zoning for having music or more than, you know, single clients, you know, or just running a business out of it, which is a real pain in the butt. But I'm hoping in the future that I can work it out at some point. Maybe by the time I work it out, you'll be flying out to Australia. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I've seen, uh, I have two places in the world that I absolutely love. And obviously one of them is Brazil. The other one is, is Spain, Spain in general. But my, I have you know, a very, very popular ballet retreat, which happens in Ibiza, which sounds so cliche. And, oh yeah, we've got a retreat in Ibiza, but <laughs> mine's a ballet retreat. So it's kind of different. And um, it was the first of its kind actually in Ibiza. So I feel really proud of that. And I would love to either be in those two countries, you know, Brazil or Spain. And I'd have this, I mean, I, I've got it all planned out. You might as well call me the architect. So I, I've like drawn it all out myself. You know, but that's what you have to do. That's manifesting. Yeah, of course. If someone, if someone picked up my journal, they would be like, you're a crazy person. Do you really think this is yeah. going to happen? And I'd be like, yeah, it is. <laughs> Totally, totally. If you, if you can visualize it, you can physicalize it. I solely stand by that. I know that sounds a bit hippy-dippy, but I am a bit hippy-dippy. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. I think if you, if you put it down on paper so it's physical, it is going to become something eventually. You know? So yeah, yeah, through it all, I have this 
I, I had this little creek that runs by it. So there's water nearby. <laughs> it's it's multi-bedroomed and there's a big open. I love to cook and I love to entertain. So I would like to do yeah. some cooking on as well. We would have like a, a pagoda style sort of space where we could meditate and we could look at the nature around us and the water and then we'd also have a studio like a ballet studio down the back so that's kind of what that's my vision so if any anyone listening has a house like that that they're willing to give me <laughs> oh, me then, too you know, sounds sounds like heaven um yeah. anyway so your zen den that you're currently in Please tell me, have you had any disasters with online teaching? Like what has been one of the challenges before we move on to in-studio teaching? <laughs> Please tell me you've had some disasters. I've had some minor disasters, yeah, that I've had to sort of navigate through. I mean, actually, to be honest, it's more to do with uh, Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know, like Wi-Fi yeah. cutting people. Um, sometimes, I don't know whether you find this, but Zoom can be a little temperamental with emails, I find. Sometimes they get lost in the, in the cyberspace. So there's been that as well, like having to double check that everyone's got their links for the class. And so yeah. you're kind of, you're on it all the time, just making sure that everyone is, yeah, everyone's ready to go. And so it's kind of, you, yeah. you have the ability to provide for, provide the clients access to the studio, the home studio, don't you? Whereas if you're actually in a live studio, people can come and go as they please. So there's a little bit more of, yeah, that sort of operationally, there's more to do with online stuff. So those are my only two disasters, Wi-Fi and, and Zoom emails. <laughs> Besides that, I haven't kept any furniture, I haven't put a hole in the ceiling, you know, with my, my head or anything like that. It's all kind of been relatively low key. <laughs> oh, good. So you have managed to somehow integrate live piano into some of your online classes. Yeah. Magician, how have you done that? That's amazing because I know with Zoom, like the lag, even just us talking right now, there's a slight like lag. And if I talk, you know, um, you cut out or if you talk, I cut out. So how the hell are you doing this woman? <laughs> I have to say, I, I'm definitely not the magician here. It's it's the it's the musician themselves. Like they they've managed to. I, I mean, I don't know all the words, but I think it's an interface. I want to say it's like a piece of equipment which, if you, I think it plugs into like an electric piano or like a keyboard, and if you can connect it to Zoom that way, like connect it to the computers, and then you you're on Zoom. It doesn't actually have so much of a delay. Like the lag isn't there, which is amazing. So, but you need to have this thing called an interface. So if there's any musicians listening and they want to start teaching for Zoom classes, you need an interface. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so love it. They have equipment and we have this, this uh, way of doing it whereby whenever they are playing, I don't talk. So obviously I don't want to cut into their music. So it's a different way of teaching. I have to be very, very clear on what I want and what I would like them to see. So like the, sorry, what I would like to see, like the objectives for the exercise, shall we say. And then we say, right, okay, let's go. And they, they come in, the pianist, they play. I do it with them on the first side so that they have a, like a guide if they need to keep looking. But on the second side, I sit down at the front and I sort of help them through. Sometimes I'm doing it with my hands like this, or I'm doing sort of like accents for the, for the music so that they can really get that into their dancing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a different way of teaching. You can't really talk whilst the musician is playing. So be very, very clear about what you want. And if you see anything you need to correct, it has to be corrected in between the exercises. 
So it's, it's challenging, but let me tell you, it is a gift. It's such a gift to have that live music. Oh, I mean, it's just amazing. When I saw that you were doing that, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I well, literally I mean, gave you a slow clap. I was like, go you. <laughs> well done, girl. Yeah, but the yep. musicians I, I'm very lucky to work with, they are just incredible. You know, they, they teach for, sorry, they didn't teach, they play for all of these professional classes. Some of them, I've got one guy at the minute who I'm working with who's in Spain and he plays for the ballet company there. And so again, like, we're, we're accessing people that we wouldn't normally and that's just wonderful. I mean, we need yeah. to keep connecting like this. So yeah, I'm gonna continue with live music online for as long as I possibly can. It's fantastic. I, um, one thing I did also find really tricky when we were teaching online was I really missed giving corrections whilst walking around a class whilst the music is playing. I did really miss that. Um, so let's go into in-studio teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have, because you and, I mean, it's actually quite rare to be talking to somebody else who does essentially what I do on the other side of the world, like with, you know, adult ballet, like it's not, and it's sad, but it's actually not as popular as it's made out to be. It's very niche and it's very few and far between in Australia. There's not many teachers that stick with teaching adults, which I think is really sad, but um, I'm going to try change that. But I actually, yeah. because I um, haven't had you yet on the podcast I have been saving up a few really random questions they're just for me like they're just literally for me I wanted to know your thoughts on taking photos and videos during class because I will admit that I never used to I used to just take like a photo at the end of every I used to do it like for a year I'd take a photo at almost the end of every class everyone would pose on the bar and I'd, and it was more of like a marketing ploy to get them to come back so they'd go oh who was at class and then I stopped doing that and I saw that you were occasionally taking some videos during class and so I I actually started doing that I did copy you because I was like oh I thought oh yeah I could do that like it's not you know I I always sort of thought of it as like a a sacred space that I couldn't do that. But I guess the more social media evolved, like I started doing it. And then lately I have been doing less and less because I'm sort of just, especially with the whole COVID situation and the numbers of people in the room and you have to be careful about what you're putting into the universe (laughs) Um, and, you know, spacing and whatnot. Um, I just don't want to deal with it. If someone goes, oh, they're, not 1.5 meter spacing there, 1.2. And so I just don't want to deal with it. So I've been videoing less, but what if, so if you're back, if you were back in the studio teaching group classes, like what's your thoughts on the teacher every now and then whipping out their phone and sharing that experience? Or like, I just wanted to know what your thoughts are on the situation and if they've evolved. I think uh, if they, if the clients are, are comfortable with it, then I don't see a problem at all. Uh, I know that there are a couple of, there'll always be a couple of people in the room that won't want to be on camera and that's absolutely fine. And if you know, I always say in the email to the clients, when we finalize all the details, I say, look, you know, there, there may be a moment where there's going to be some pictures taken or some videos purely for social media, nothing, you know, you won't be tagged, like, uh, not really even needing your face, I just need you at the bar, 
something like that. And if they say, yes, I'm fine with that, or if they say, no, I'm not fine with that, then I'll just say, look, maybe you wouldn't mind if there's say three or four of them that don't want to be in the picture. If maybe you can stand on this bar together so that I don't pan around and get, you know, get you in the whole shot, I'll stick with this side of the room, things like that, as long as we're just open and like, communicating about it. it. Tends to be okay. Obviously, if a teacher's on their phone the entire class, then that's just awful. Yes. So yeah. it's, I tend not, I, if I know that there's going to be an exercise that they're going, it's, it's a beautiful exercise, I know that they're going to do it really well, then I'll They're comfortable. I'll do, like, yeah, and they're comfortable, I'll do 30 seconds maybe, and then that's it. And maybe from that 30 second video, I'll find a still that I can use as a picture. Or if someone's willing to pose at the end for something, I'll do that, you know? Yeah. And so to be perfectly honest, with the, with the sort of beginner level adults, they're not always comfortable with it, which is totally fine and totally understandable. The more professional they are, like I do teach professionals as well. Um, so that sort of, that level, they love it. <laughs> so that's fine. Yeah. They, 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 I don't even really need to ask them, but I always do. Um, yeah. I'm actually photography, so I have this massive camera. And so I do things a little bit more artistically. I don't necessarily need to see the full form of the client or of the dancer. I, can, I would prefer just to see maybe the hand or the, the foot or maybe like the silhouette of the head or something like that. So I'm more into that type of thing, uh, which... Yeah. It's beautiful. It's the art, isn't it? You're, it doesn't matter you know, what you're doing if you, you're caught in a moment because, you know, as we know, photography is about timing. So that's, yeah, I'm just going to try. I always try and show people off at their best. <laughs> Good. One of the reasons why I was asking was because um, one time I received this message, don't you love social media? I received this message yeah. being like, oh, Georgia, it would be nice if you actually spent more time. And this is just somebody that I didn't even know that wasn't even in Australia. Would be nice if you actually spent the class teaching instead of taking videos for your social or something like that. It was from another teacher sure. who, to be honest, I looked her up, was just look like a pretty horrific teacher but I did think about yeah. that comment isn't it isn't it funny like the one negative comment you still take it to heart you're like oh maybe I should but then like you if I do take a photo or a video it's like 30 seconds of a t an entire one hour class and yeah, that goes exactly. down yeah. and you know at the end of the day we are we we are running a business as well even though we're 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 healing people we're helping people so obviously if it is a business, we need to we need to put it out there effectively, and 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 the the best the best marketing, if we want to class it as marketing, the best advertising that we can possibly do is to show the clients. There's no point showing ourselves. Everybody knows who we are and where we've come from in our training. It's not yeah. about us. It's about clients. So. You know, here is, for example, Tilly, one of my wonderful clients, standing in this beautiful, you know, pose. She looks amazing. This is what you could be like. If you yeah. relate to a woman, if you relate to Tilly and you love ballet, then come and do class with Tilly. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's how I see it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like I said, as, as long as we're not on our phones the entire time, which we're not, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, question. When mm -hmm. people arrive late, how long do you how how long do you go before it's not acceptable to start class? Ten minutes. <laughs> Ten minutes? Yeah. I mean, I'm quite strict actually. I I, I get that makes me feel good because I am too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, it's partly to do with that responsibility, like be responsible, do the, you know, show up, show up on time, because it's, it's, you're only doing yourself and your teacher a disservice if you're constantly late or if you're, you know, you haven't got your, you know, your, I don't want to say the, the S word, but you know what I mean? You haven't got your print together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's what we're well, like if we were late for class, we were, we were told to sit out and it's just good. It's just good for you. It's, it puts you in a good mindset. You're not rushing. You don't feel, you know, flighty and anxious because you've missed the warm up. Just make sure you leave enough time so you get to the class and then, you know, you enjoy the whole experience and it's stress-free. The other thing as well is that it's dangerous for you to, for people to join a yes. class late. If they miss the warm up, then they run the risk of injuring themselves. And, you know, that's the last thing we want. So it's about just taking that responsibility, isn't it? To get, to get there on time. And, you know, really we should be doing some form of warm up even before class begins, ideally, shouldn't we? <laughs> exactly. I always say to my clients, the studio is open half an hour before class starts and you can go in and, and get warmed up. I think where it's a bit tricky is sometimes when I had someone show up 20 minutes late, and I did do the whole, look, I'm really sorry. I, I don't think you should join class. Like we've, we're almost finished bar. Um, yeah. You know, you might injure yourself. We're actually at the part of bar where you will injure yourself because, you know, you, it's getting up there, Grand Batman, you know, adage. And, yeah. um, and I found myself in such a fluster. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have to explain this. Like, and I'm disrupting everyone else and I'm needing to get into the next exercise and, what do you do when those, I just need to take a breath, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's easier said than done, isn't it? But um, Oh, it's so much easier said than done. Yeah, I think, you know, we are the teacher, we are the expert. So, and it, we're not doing it to be difficult. It's, it's just the way it is. This is how it is. And if you were to walk into a, you know, a, a gym class, for example, like you're going to go do like a, a high intensity class, they would never let you begin 20 minutes late. You know, if you were 20 minutes yeah. late, they'd never let It's essential that we, yeah, it's essential that we prepare the mind and the body for the physicality that we're about to put it under. Let's be honest, when we do any type of exercise, it's stress on the body. It's stress on the mind. Even if we enjoy it, it's still yeah. really, really stressful on the body. And yeah, I think there's a little bit of this dip in, dip out culture that happens with exercise yes. in general. I call it fast food exercise where people just think, oh, I'll, just, I'll either just do it once or, you know, then it'll be fine. I don't really have to commit to it. Or, you know, oh, I'll just be a couple minutes late for that. It's not a problem. It is a problem, actually. <laughs> it's a problem mainly for, for you, the client. You're not going to get the experience that you really deserve out of it. So it's, I'm, yeah, I'm very strict, even with online. And I put in my, in all of my safety and liability on my website, that this is how it is. If you are more than 10 minutes late and I see you pop into the, into the Zoom class, I might privately message you and say, look, in my opinion, I think this is too late for you to join. Obviously I can't force them to leave the meeting. I'm not in there and not there with them physically, but I can advise them and say, look, you are really running the risk. And then ultimately it's, it's up to them if they want to continue. Yeah. But in a studio then I will definitely say look I'm sorry it's uh not gonna happen today <laughs> yeah no definitely I um I wanted to also ask you about corrections and with adults in regards to um 
touching. And I mean, this is completely sort of weird to talk about now because, well, essentially we're not really supposed to be making physical contact anyway, but before let's pretend COVID doesn't exist <laughs> just yeah, for a second, please. this, this <laughs> unique situation, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's pretend that this unique situation, taking your words doesn't exist right now. Um, and you're teaching a group of adults uh, I think it's a little bit different with private coaching, but with a group of adults, are you very hands-on kind of teacher? Are you more verbal or are you correcting during an exercise? What do you do? What's, what's your yeah. take on it? I mean, I, I am quite, I'm quite verbal and um, I use a lot of, you know, I use my voice a lot of the time to help with things as opposed to, yeah. you know, really people into a position. I want people to feel it more so than to be, sort of manhandled into the position, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not manhandled, yeah. but um, I'd, I'd rather use a nuance in my voice or get the music to help them find something, you know, in terms of movement. However, if it's, you know, a technical thing like posture or whatever, then I will be hands-on. I'll, I'll always ask them if I can touch them. And, and if they say yes, of course, then I consider that my green light to touch them in the way that I know I should, and, you know, as a teacher. I'm obviously... Yeah, you know, it, we do kind of need to, particularly with glutes and stuff, we sometimes need to just prod the, the bottom a little bit, like you know, to wake like them up. Little, yeah, like lift lift the glutes and maybe stick the baby fingernail in the muscle. Like, go on. <laughs> like, <laughs> but there's obviously, and particularly with guys as well, I, I'm I'm very very clear all the time. Can I touch you? I'm going to touch you here. Is that okay? And obviously, most of the time they say yes, and it's fine. If anyone says no, then that's absolutely, that's their choice. And I, I just, I do it on myself. So I'll man, I'll sort of like put myself into the position and hope that they can find it for themselves. But even with our unique situation with, with the, with COVID, I, um, even when I'm teaching privates, I, if they say to me, I don't mind you coming here and just helping me with this, then I will do that. I don't want to feel, I don't want to create a barrier between my clients and, and myself, even during this time, as long as we're all safe, because there's no, you know, we don't have symptoms. We are, if, if they prefer to wear masks, then that's absolutely fine. If I'm going in for like two seconds just to correct the, say, the pelvis alignment or to help lift the elbow or put the shoulder down, then I'm, I will do that. I don't want to yeah. the client to feel as if I, I'm frightened to touch them because I'm actually not. I'm, we're all being sensible. And I think it's important, yeah. important to keep some, some type of normalcy here. For most people, it's an escape. It's their hour or an hour and a half yeah. where they can get all of this madness. Exactly. And they, they can be in their bodies, they can move their bodies and they can, they can feel connected to themselves and to their, their friends, their like-minded others and to their teacher who, I mean, I'm sure they see you as this person, this beacon of light and hope in their life. I know a lot of my clients feel that way with me. Like, you know, the messages that I've received over this period of time, like you've really saved me. And, and every, yeah. every day I'm excited about something, even though I'm trapped in the house. And, you know, we're talking about something bigger here than, than a virus. We're talking about the, the well-being of, of the collective. And it, I, I feel very, very strongly about this. We need to keep a sense of, of togetherness of connection and being social yes we can be careful but we cannot we cannot become isolated and hermit like it's going to cause bigger problems down the road i mean you know i don't want to get too deep into it but the mental health issues that are 
you know, prevalent at the moment. The, since, you know, the suicide rates are skyrocketing. There's domestic abuse happening. You know, that's skyrocketing. It's just tragic. We need to keep our, particularly our clients who, you know, we have a responsibility to. We need to keep them happy. In, even if it's just for that hour or hour and a half in the room, we need to keep them happy. We need to keep them coming back. So they've got something to, to, to work for, something to almost fight for, you know? I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Hey, um, did you know that we've been speaking for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> we have. I mean, I usually like to keep episodes at about an hour and I'm going to release this like on Monday. So like pretty soon um, yeah. because I, <laughs> I just can't wait to share you with my community and then we can sort of cross pollinate because we sort of have some little ideas, don't we, that we might collaborate in the future. Yes, I think it would be a very, very strong collaboration to, to, you know, giant forces coming together. I think it would be pretty special. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like when we're allowed to travel, um, I, I, yeah, this is, this is going to happen. Um, I just can't wait to actually do this in person and, and watch you teach and teach alongside and possibly collaborate on some different workshops in Australia and London. Um, but I know, I know that we were going to um, have a chat about uh, some body positivity and some situations that we found ourselves in when we were young dancers. But I feel like we've had such a good chat and, there's, and we've sort of kept really positive. And I feel like at the moment, everyone needs a bit of positivity that can we do like a part two where we can delve into that because I feel like that's another hour long conversation. Yeah. What yeah. do you think? I, I completely agree. Let's, let's do a part two and, and we need to do that because it needs to be spoken about. Doesn't it? That it, whole, it does. That whole issue of um, sort of the well-being of the student within training and, and this kind of stuff that can happen and does happen behind the scenes needs to come to light more. And um, yes. we're, we're scratching purpose with that so I hope that yeah we can do a part two and really open up that conversation start some change start some real positive yeah. changes definitely and I'm not putting it under I'm not you know uh, brushing it under the rug I'm just more stopping our conversation now because I actually want to do it justice like it deserves a full hour of diving deep and and just yeah. pulling apart and lots of reflection and lots of analysis of I mean possibly where we can go and how we can help in that situation so um so what we might do is we might pause that little dot point that I had and revisit that and we'll reschedule that for another time but before you go um yes. I did just I did just want to ask because a huge amount of the balanced ballerinas population is adults and a lot of them listen not just from Australia around the world and I think sometimes one of the biggest things with adults is like we've already touched on just the confidence of, of being in class and knowing that they belong there. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest things and the biggest kick that I know my clients get is when I tell them that you guys are the highlight of my day. Like I love them so much. It is teaching adults is one of the most unexpected blessings of my life and, um, and uh, I mean, what would you say to your adult clients? But also, you know, we're also talking to adult ballerinas around the world and making them feel validated. Like, how do you feel about that and your clients? 
I mean, I completely agree. It, it, there's something so incredibly rewarding about seeing uh, an adult human being learning something from from scratch and watching that journey, watching that improvement, and you know, and massive respect because it's so difficult to learn something as an adult. We have so many ingrained habits and like we were talking about earlier, the, the judgment and the sort of the, they have an idea, like a, a projection of maybe how they're going to do and it's not necessarily aligned with who they really are. And, and most of the time it's quite negative, I think. You know, they yeah. feel like they're not going to do very well if they try and that's what stops them from trying. And I think you, what we've all got to remember is we're, we're beginners at something at some point. We all are. I mean, when I began tango and capoeira, I, I started both of those art forms within the last three years as an established dancer myself. And you would have thought that that would be easy for me to slip into different art form. I tell you, it really oh, wasn't. no. <laughs> ballroom, any kind oh, of ballroom tango, so hard, like so hard. Incredibly <laughs> difficult to relearn what is so ingrained and habitual in your body. And so, and that's part of it. When, when the adults come into the class, they have to relearn. And if they're prepared to, to commit and be consistent and do, do the work, then they will change. They will, you know, have, they will achieve their goals. And the, the most important thing is they can do it for, for life. As long as they've got a good teacher that's going to help them keep safe and do, you know, things yes. technically, and, and they're going to really take on board the things that, you know, we're saying, and they're not going to rush forward and try and do fuetes on point after six weeks. Or, you know, like, you can do this for as long as you possibly can or want to. I think we all need to just remember that we are, we are the only person that, that will ever be us. You know, you know, we are our best selves. As long as we believe that we have something to offer, you know, like even if it's just going into the room and being part of the class, even if they're quiet, they just get on with it. They just dance. They're part of a, a living, breathing thing in the room at that moment. And without them, it will be, it will be less of an experience. You know, so I tell my clients all the time, I can't do my job without you. So actually you are fundamental. Yes. You are fundamental without, without the passion that's mirrored in you, then I can't teach. I won't be able to pass on my wisdom. You have a passion for ballet, which is as big as mine. And that is where, that's where it is. That's where the, the magic happens. That's where it needs to be. And then, yes. so that's, that's how I tell them all the time that, yeah, without them, I'd, I'd be, <laughs> I don't know where I'd be. I don't know. Exactly. What I'd be <laughs> oh, it's, it's funny. <laughs> Maybe. Architecture of dreams. <laughs> it's, it's funny when I'm, when I'm teaching and I'm doing different things and, you know, they, they're sighing or like, oh, well, I just want to look, I want my leg to look like yours or I want my pirouette to look like yours. I say the same to, thing to them. I go, if your pirouette or your leg at the moment looked like mine, I wouldn't have a job. Like, yeah. <laughs> I need you. I need you. Yeah. And you've started it. And you've started at 43. I started at three. You would be worried. Yeah. My mum's money would have not been spent very well if it didn't look like this. <laughs> you know, and it's about the journey, isn't it? That Exactly. Cliche saying as well, it's all about the journey and not the de destination. It really is. We have to enjoy the process of learning and changing and growing and developing relationships with people that are going to, you know, align 
to our our purpose and support us throughout the journey that's that's all it's about there isn't a destination with ballet anyway you can never really master it can you it's so hard <laughs> no. no i know You're and that's why i say exactly and that's why i say to my clients i'm like look you thought that that double pirouette was beautiful i saw a thousand things wrong with my double pirouette so it never stops like it never stops but um i have absolutely loved having you on the podcast even though i feel like i'm just chatting with a friend but um i always finish every episode by asking my guest uh their number one tip for leading a balanced life what's yours I think, you know, we, we live in the yin and yang world. We live in, we always live in duality. I think as long as everything is balanced, uh, quite literally, like, you know, your, your name says it all balanced ballerinas. We, we can have, we can have it all to a degree. You can have the, you know, the, the regular ballet classes and you can also have the glass of wine after. <laughs> like, I yeah. You should deny yourself of anything that's going to make you happy anything that's going to make your life better just you know do whatever you do whatever is right for your soul listen to your soul don't you know take too much influence from other people then they'll never know your journey you're the only one that really knows your journey and just sit with that power sit with that sovereignty and don't don't be afraid try not to be afraid anyway because on the other side of on the other side of that fear is you know, something that you didn't expect and most likely going to be the thing that's going to change your life for the better. Spot on, spot on, my friend. Thank you so much, Chris. I have loved every second of this. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me on. It's, um, yeah, and I can't wait for part two. This is uh, going to be really exciting. <laughs>